You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. God, we thank you this morning for who you are. God, we exalt your name above every other name. Lord, this morning, oh God, we just come with an inclined heart and ear and um, our minds conforming to your image, oh God. Uh, Lord, we thank you for who you are. And God, this morning, we pray that you'd speak to us, uh, Lord, even just through the message, oh God, and everything that we've experienced this morning. God, just give us one thing that we can take away today to make a difference in our lives this week. And God, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, church, this morning we're beginning a new series titled In Secret, and over the next three weeks, we're going to be journeying through Matthew chapter 6. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, this is where Jesus starts to unpack three key practices to our faith. He unpacks praying, fasting, and giving. In fact, you need to understand that uh, when Jesus unpacks these things, he doesn't say, if you pray, if you give, if you fast. What he says is when you do these things. In other words, these are synonymous practices to the life and faith that you hold as a Christian. Tomorrow, we're beginning in, uh, our journey through 21 days of prayer as a church, uh, and during which we're going to commit to these three practices. And I want to encourage you this morning that habit formation leads to life transformation. Habit formation leads to life transformation. If you want to make a difference in your life, if you want to start to conform to the image of Christ, it begins with the habits that you form in order for you to be transformed by him and his word. Well, have you ever had this experience before? My name is a bit of a unisex name. uh, And so I'll often message church members and I'll be like, hey, it was lovely to see you. I'm Kaylin. I'd love to catch up with you on, on Sunday. And they'll message me back and I'm like, oh, this is cool. They messaged me back. Not looking at anyone in the room. But they message me back and they say, oh, so awesome, sis. It was so good to be there on Sunday. And I'm like, what on earth? Well, church, have you ever had this experience? You go to allow someone to pray for you or they pray with you. And all of a sudden you're standing in prayer and you're like, yes, what they're speaking is true. Yes, what they're saying is powerful. Yes, I'm going to receive it. And all of a sudden you realize that they've misunderstood or they've misheard your name. And now you're standing there receiving prayer on behalf of a Caleb, not a Kalen. Or a Calvin, not a Caitlin, or the worst one yet, uh, a Caitlin, not a Caitlin. And I see there's a Caitlin on there. So I just want to say I've been receiving prayer for you on behalf of you for most of my life for all these zealous Christians. Awesome. Well, church, this morning we're going to unpack prayer. Jesus says that his house shall be called a house of prayer. In fact, Martin Luther, he said he was once uh, quoted as saying this, to be a Christian without praying is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. You know, Billy Graham, he challenges uh, people, and when he said this, he said, we're to pray in times of adversity, lest we become faithless and unbelieving. We're to pray in times of prosperity, lest we become boastful and proud. We're to pray in times of danger, lest we become fearful and doubting. We're to pray in times of security, lest we think we're all sufficient. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write this down. Prayer mustn't be our last resort. It must be our first response. Friend, prayer mustn't be a last resort. It must be the first response and action that we take as believers in Christ. Because what is prayer this morning? Well, let me define what prayer is. Prayer is communion. It's communion between you and God. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue, a two-way conversation where you come, you sit, you speak, and you listen to what he's saying. In fact, you need to understand this morning that uh, prayer in and of its very nature is an act of worship. Because what is worship this morning? Worship is to ascribe worth to something or to someone. 
And if you don't know where you've placed your worship this morning, can I encourage you that the place of your worship and the place which you've placed your worth is found in that which you've delegated the, the, the autonomy or delegated the majority of your time to. And so I want to ask you this morning and challenge you, friend, what is that for you? Is that your work? Is that a relationship? Is that entertainment? Is it gym? Is it your worries and concerns? Because yes, those things are good and great, but ultimately your worship and your worth should be found in God. See, when you pray, what you're saying is, God, I ascribe to you the worth and place of highest honor in my life. God, your word, your wisdom, your correction, and your comfort, they're worth everything to me in my life. God, you're worth the time and effort that it takes for me to seek you wholeheartedly. Listen, every single one of us need to know this morning that prayer needs to be a developed daily habit in your life and your walk with Jesus. Let me say that again. Prayer needs to be a developed daily habit in your life and your walk with Jesus. I love this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18. goes on to tell us, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Understand that a life of prayer is more than just setting aside an intentional time to wholeheartedly seek Him. Yes, it is about that, and yes, we should make time and effort to meet with Him, because how many people know that we give time, we allocate time to those who matter, and so we need to make that intentional time. But more than this, a life of prayer is recognizing that God Himself is ever-present. He's ever-present in the times that we need Him, moment by moment, daily, and uh, second by second. He's there, and we get to involve Him, and speak to Him, and hear Him, in every situation, in every mundane thing that we do in our life. God, what should I wear today? God, what conversations do I need to have today? God, what apologies or reconciliation do I need to make today? God, what activities and responsibilities should I be taking on my shoulders today? See, prayer needs to be more than just one set aside time in the day. It's more than that. It's a developed daily habit, moment by moment, second by second, life and journey and walking with the Lord. See, there's three questions we need to answer based on Jesus' teaching and instruction on prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Now, Jesus gives these as thoughts, but I'm going to give these as questions this morning to challenge you in your time of prayer. First question I want you to answer this morning is, what's your motive? Everyone say, what's your motive? See, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8 goes on to tell us, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling on like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Understand that Jesus in this, in this text, he's not condemning public praying. What he's more rather addressing is the people's motive. The people were more motivated by man's applause than they were about God's approval. Can I suggest to you this morning that time has never been the issue or the problem of prayerlessness? The heart has. The heart's the real issue. See, the real issue of prayerlessness is pridefulness because let me tell you why. Because it's a heart that thinks it's good without God. God, it's, it's a posture that says, God, I don't need you. I don't need to hear from you. I don't need to speak to you. I don't need to spend this time with you because I've got this. It's, prayerlessness is a form of pridefulness. That's why Jesus addresses their motive by saying, go into your room 
a place of no distraction, a place where you can be undisturbed and focus entirely on hearing from God. No, the, the truth is this this morning. There's prayers that you'll pray and God will answer them. And he tells you to go into the secret place so you don't get the glory for it, but he gets all glory, all honor, and all power for that prayer that he's answered. See, here's the posture that we must take when it comes to prayer. Open hands, open hearts, open mind. God, I need you. God, I want you. God, I can't do this without you. Whatever you say, God, I'll do. Friend, hear me this morning. Seek him first for his heart before you begin to seek him for his hand. Seek the giver before you seek the gifts. Seek the helper before you seek the help. Seek the creator before you seek for the creation or the created. Seek his heart before you go after his hand. See, he's not a genie. He's not a vending machine. He's not a career advancement. Friend, he's a person to be loved. Jesus' entire life and ministry was defined by his time where he withdrew to lonely places to be with his father. The Bible tells us that the son could do nothing of himself except what he saw and heard the father doing. He did also. I want you to write this down. This is what Jesus' life summarized, summarized for us. Friend, public power only comes by way of private passion. Let me say that again. Private power only comes by private passion. Your quality of time with him will determine your quality of time with others. Your effectiveness in the public space will be determined and defined by your time in the secret place. Your ability to influence the masses will be determined by the surrender that you have as you're influenced by the King of Kings, your master. Friend, what's your motive this morning? Let's seek him first for his heart before we begin to seek him for his hand. See, Matthew 6 goes on to progress into what's known commonly as the Lord's Prayer. And now you've got to understand the Lord's Prayer is an incredibly rich text. And I really wanted to pull this thing apart like word for word. But for the sake of time, we can't do that. Um, but the crux or the, the emphasis of the prayer is that it's seen as two parts. There's two thoughts that this is broken down to in Matthew 6, verse 9 to 10 is the first part, and then beyond that is the second part. And again, Jesus gives two thoughts through this prayer, but I want to give you two questions that you need to ask when it comes to your time of praying with him. Second, second question this morning is this. Church, who's your master? Who's your master? Matthew 6, verse 9 to 10 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you need to understand this morning, this is what you need to go know, is up until this point, God is only referred to as a father metaphorically. See, all throughout Old Testament scriptures, you'll see that he's referred to as father, but that's through a metaphorical sense, where the people understand him as the qualities of a father. Whereas Jesus isn't doing this. Jesus is now encouraging his disciples and every single one of us to approach him and address him as our father, and that's a personal sense. It's a personal address of our God. In fact, you need to understand that what Jesus presents is a theological view known as God's imminence and God's transcendence. Now, let me say that again because this is just breaking down a theological thought. God's imminence and God's transcendence. God's imminence means that he is knowable, that he works within the thing which he created. 
God's transcendence means that he is far above and beyond all things, that he's the creator of all things, and that he himself is uniquely above all set apart. He's imminent, he's knowable, but he's transcendent. He is above and far beyond all things that we could ever imagine. And I wonder today, if the 21st century Christian narrative has far exalted an imminent view of God, where God has become more of a buddy than he has been a transcendent, wholly set apart person who, of whom we behold his beauty. See, I'm concerned today for a generation who have exalted nulled notions of God's love and grace and fallen short from the fear of God being the beginning of all understanding. See, not fear that we'd be afraid to come to him, but afraid that we would be far away from him. Friend, have we exalted a buddy God than we have beholding God? See, yes, he's a close comforter. Yes, he's your friend. Yes, he's closer than your brother. But he is also God, almighty creator of all things. He is transcendent, meaning he convicts us that we fall short of his standing. But he is imminent, meaning he comforts us and works with us in creation to help to conform us to the image and the bearing and the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. He's transcendent and he is imminent. Listen, if you want an enriched prayer life this morning, can I encourage you to study out the word of God? Because as you study out the word of God and as you begin to pray, what you realize is you're no longer praying from want, but you're praying from a knowledge of who he is, his character and his nature. Now, many of you would have heard Tender come up and MC a few weeks ago. And that man, let me tell you, he's studied out the word of God because there's such an authority that he carries when he comes and he speaks and he says something. You know that his life is enveloped in the word of God. See, Jesus goes on to say, hallowed be thy name. You need to know that God's name is a reflection of who he is. There is power in his name, and his name perfectly encapsulates his beautiful personhood. See, hallowed is this idea that he is holy and set apart. His name, church, is set apart. Come on, somebody, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord over all things. Come on, as you pray, you need to remind yourself, your situation and the enemy, that the greatness and the goodness of God is greater than any other situation that you've got to walk through. That his character and his nature, that his majesty and his providence and the omnipotence of God is more far greater than the things which you're going to bring to him. See, before you bring your problems, can I encourage you to bring your praise? Before you bring your wants, why don't you bring your worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Before you bring your asks, why don't you come and sit and bring your adoration for who he is? See, what I've noticed is that as you prioritize doing this first, your worries will dissipate at the sight of Almighty God. Concerns can't keep company in the greatness and the massiveness of Almighty God. Problems fail in comparison to who he is, his character, his nature. They bow down to who he is. In fact, to every single praying person this morning, friend, you aren't praying for victory, you're praying from victory. Stop giving attention and Satan the glory for the battle that Jesus has already won. Because friend, those prayers need to cease because you need to start to declare his goodness and his victory and his blood, apply the blood of the Lamb. I'm here to remind you today, he's your master, he's your healer, he's your comforter, he's your provider, he's your savior, he's your deliverer. He alone this morning is all that you need. Come on, somebody, he alone deserves all the honor, all the power, all the glory, and all the majesty. He is the master, and all things are in the palm of his hand. Come on, somebody. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got, yep, you, you, I'll cut it there. 
I don't know why I went there. If the keys could join me, I'm going to preach my final point. See, Jesus continues in his prayer model through the Lord's Prayer. And the second half of the prayer that Jesus prayed, it focuses on this, church, watch your matter. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 to 13. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever and ever. Amen. See, the Bible says and encourages us, you have not because you ask not. You know, one of the biggest reasons we don't see answers to our prayer life is simply because we don't ask. And in fact, as over the years that I've spent journeying with people, I've found that there's been two major misunderstandings that they apply to their lives as to why they don't pray. And it's to do again with two theological views or two attributes of God. Now, this is a bit of teaching this morning, but it's okay because we kicked you out early last week. It's fine. (laughs) Here's the two attributes of God, God's sovereignty and God's immutability. God's sovereignty and God's immutability. See, when it comes to God's sovereignty, people often think and say, why even bother asking when he already knows what I need? Notice how Jesus himself addresses this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 to 9, your father, he already knows what you need before you ask him. Therefore, this then is how you should pray. Jesus is saying, because God is sovereign, it's the very reason you should pray. Because God is in control is the very reason you should pray. Because God already knows your needs is the very reason you should pray. How comforting to know that we serve a God that even though he already knows what we need, he still desires our attention, our affection, and our adoration to come to him and to ask. See, the second reason people often cease in their prayer life is because they think, well, God's immutable. God's immutable, meaning things won't change. Now hear me today, you've got to understand this. Yes, God is immutable, meaning his character and his nature do not change. But his immutability this morning doesn't mean that he can't change his mind on a matter and that your situation can't change. God is immutable. Yes, his character and his nature don't change. That's a beautiful thought this morning. Man, God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your desire to help work within creation. Know his character and nature this morning. See, I want to encourage you that because God is sovereign, because God is immutable and his character and his nature don't change, is the very reason why you should be praying and asking him today. Matthew 7, 7. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. I realize that that is A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. I might have been a bit short on that one, but you know. But church, I want to encourage you this morning, if things don't begin to shift in your world, ask. If things don't begin to move in the situations that you're facing, ask. If things don't begin to change, ask. If things don't look quite right or things are a little bit funny, change is strange, money is funny, ask. Things are seemingly dire and there seems to be no hope. Perhaps you've come in with a doctor's report. Ask. If you're in the pit in the midst of turmoil at your lowest point in your life, ask. You know the simplest prayer we can pray? Help. (laughs) See, here's what I know to be true this morning. Church, even if your situations don't change through the prayers that you pray, God will change you in the midst of it. Yes, God answers prayers. And if he doesn't do it through me, 
And if he doesn't do it in me, he'll do it around me. And I rest knowing that he'll do it in me and through me. I said that a bit wrong, but that's fine. See, so many times in my own life, I've asked God, God, remove the pe- this person out of my world so that I don't have to go through that. But instead of God removing that person, he removed my horrible attitude, gave me a new attitude to see that person and had a different response towards them. God didn't take me out of some of the lowly seasons that I'd walk through, but instead taught me to trust and depend wholeheartedly on him. God didn't afford me some of the opportunities that I prayed for, and it was for my good, but he instead fulfilled them in ways that I could never have even imagined. See, one of my biggest prayers was always to be a teacher. So God made me a pastor. There it is. And you know, the truth is this, I get to preach and teach the word of God on a regular basis. I lecture growing leaders across our nation weekly. People reach out for different teachings and things. So God made me a teacher, but he did it in the form of a pastor. You know, one of my prayers was to be a counselor. So God, again, made me a pastor. And, you know, I get to pastorally care for people on a regular basis, mentor people, raise up leaders in their, in their certain challenges. One of my dreams was to be a builder, so God made me a pastor. Yes, I may be a health and safety nightmare, but, you know, as Steph and I left Manurewa, Ilam Manurewa, we realized that every space in that build, in that campus, we'd renovated room by room. One of my dreams was to be a chef, so God made me a pastor. <laughs> And he knew that I had tendencies to be lazy, so that's why he made me a pastor, so that people would invite me over for lunch. And he gave me, listen, he gave me an incredible wife. Let me tell you, if you're coming over to my house for dinner, I'm cooking a microwavable hot dog. But here's what I'm trying to convey this morning. Hear hear my heart on this. It might not always look like the result of what you prayed for, but God is good. And because God is good, He does only out of His goodness. It's a part of His character and nature. And I've learned that He'll do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask, think, dream, or even imagine to the glory of God and His name. It might not look like what you expected or hoped for as you prayed for it, but can I testify to you this morning that it will meet and far exceed any expectation that you may have come into prayer with. He's your Father this morning. He wants to know your heart. He wants to hear your voice. He desires your undivided attention and time with Him. So this morning, I want to encourage you, pray. Three questions you need to answer as you begin the journey of prayer over these next 21 days. What's your motive? Who's your master? What's your matter? Let me say that again. What's your motive? Who's your master? What's your matter? Bring it to the Lord and ask. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you this morning for who you are. God, this week I pray, oh God, that we would just take one thing, one thing even from today's service or this message, and we begin to apply that as we go over this journey together as a church of 21 days of prayer. God, we pray and we believe this morning for revival, but God, we know this morning that revival begins with us. And so this morning, oh God, I pray that you'd revive hearts, that you'd revive minds, God, that you'd revive purpose and calling on people's lives that maybe have been lost throughout the journey. Lord, in places where we've ceased to ask, God, encourage us to come to you and ask again. God, we'll keep on asking, we'll keep on knocking, and God, we'll keep on seeking. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Church, we never like to close our services without giving people an opportunity to come to know the one who I've been talking about this morning, to know your Savior, Lord, and Christ Jesus. 
And here's the truth this morning. Church, you were created on purpose for a purpose. You were created this morning for life and life in abundance. You were created for relationship with God. But the reason we don't experience these things is because of this word called sin. The Bible talks about sin and how the wages or the penalty of our sin is that you and I, friend, were dead in them. But God, our gracious, our loving, our heavenly Father didn't want to leave us in that place. And so here's what he did. He sent his son, Jesus, who lived holy and blamelessly, yet walked to a cross to take upon himself the death that you and I deserved. In fact, the Bible says that if we believe in him, if we confess him as our Lord and Savior, we can have forgiveness of our past, hope of eternity with him, and a new life today. And I wonder if that's you this morning. If you're saying, Kaylin, I need to pray a prayer. I need to come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count down from three. And if that's you this morning, if you're saying, Kaylin, count me in the prayer that you're about to pray. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. All you need to do is pop your hand up nice and high. Not to embarrass you, it's just so I know who I'm praying for this morning. Awesome. Let me pray. Oh, let me count. Three, God loves you. He has a call and a plan and a purpose for your life. Two, he's standing at the door of your heart saying, would you let me in? One, if that's you this morning, would you mind raising your hand nice and high? Just saying, Kaylin, count me in that prayer. Awesome. Hand going up. Awesome. See anyone else this morning? Wanting- Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.